It's good to be with you all. Um, let me, uh, we're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. If you'd turn there, we're going to read the second um, half of the chapter, starting in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12, let me read it for us. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say to the hand, <clears throat> if, but if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers... All suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Let me pray for us this morning. Father God, thank you so much for this morning, for this opportunity to hear from your word, to hear from your spirit this morning. Lord Jesus, we just pray that my words would be a part of you, that my words would come from you. We pray that we would uh, hear those words and forget the rest, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity in this moment. May you be with us now in spirit and in truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, as Beth said, uh, she mentioned a ministry. It's called New City Cleveland. I want to talk a little bit about that to open us up. Uh, this morning. So New City Cleveland is, the, is a community ministry that my wife Leah and I actually are fully engaged in. That's the reason why we actually came back to Cleveland in 2017. It's the reason why we hooked up with Heights Presbyterian Church. And kind of the whole concept behind it is bringing together churches and neighborhood residents to become the beloved community. Because one of the things we noticed in a lot of neighborhoods, but we noticed especially in our neighborhood, which is Buckeye Woodhill on the east side of Cleveland, uh, is that uh, you've got a neighborhood that's disconnected and isolated from resources. So, you know, poor grocery stores and being over-policed and, you know, neglectful city services, different things like that. But you also have churches in that neighborhood 
uh, that are consist of members that don't really live in the neighborhood. So you've got a church that's disconnected from the neighborhood, and you've got a neighborhood that's disconnected from each other. Uh, and so the whole idea of New City Cleveland is creating opportunities to bring those two groups together and watch God work in a way that's unexpected. Okay, so if you want to have more information, I have some stuff uh, in the back there. We have a New City 101 gathering at Heights Prez, which is on May 20th. You can just hear our story, be in the neighborhood, you can check it out more. Uh, there was also kind of an outline of the different ministries we have rolling now. I'm kind of bringing that up because it is a big transition time, even for me personally, as I'm now transitioning. For six years, I've worked full-time somewhere else, doing something else. And this Friday is my last day at my you know, nine-to-five job because I'm transitioning full-time to be director of discipleship for New City Cleveland. So it's a really cool time. It's a really exciting time, uh, full of meaning. And I think it's worth starting there, because I want to I connect what I'm talking about with New City with this section. I'm going to give kind of two pieces of context for where we're at in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So follow it with me. You're going to be like, why is he not talking about 1 Corinthians? We're going to get there in just a minute. Um, part of New City Cleveland is six core values, six main core values. And we've been, we've been with these core values for like 10 years, okay? These are super important to each one of them. Renewal through the gospel, racial justice and reconciliation, transformative relationships, empowerment and humility, listening to the community, and God's word, okay? Those are the six core values of the ministry. And at some point last year, I, um, I got this idea of doing prayer walks in the city, Okay, so I started doing these prayer walks, and I had kind of this crazy idea of, like, what if I walked across the city of Cleveland, which kind of sounds dramatic, and it kind of was, about 13 and a half miles, which is about the length of a, of a half marathon. I'm not a walker. I'm not, like, a marathon person, so I was like, I should probably do some shorter walks to kind of get ready for that. I don't know if you've ever walked 13 miles. It's, like, it's pretty long, actually. Um, you'd be surprised, yeah. Uh, once you hit mile five, it's kind of like, wow, this is, I'm still going, Okay. Um, on one of these walks, I was walking, I was thinking about the, um, the ministry, and it was actually, I was walking on Rocky River, which is a really cool trail area, and I got this idea that the core values are the functions of a body, okay? So renewal through the gospel is a new, we need a new heart to be able to actually hold the gospel in it. The idea of racial justice and reconciliation is Ephesians chapter 2. That's two, the two becoming one, being reconciled in the gospel. Transformative relationships, having the eyes be able to see the way that God works through the relationships, rather than constantly being confused about programs or institutions, but actually God works through the relationships. Give us new eyes to see that. The idea of humility, of course, Micah 6, new feet to be able to walk humbly with the Lord. Listening to the community, well, of course, we need new ears to be able to actually listen to hear one another and empathize with one another rather than just listening so that we can respond with what we think the people in our neighborhood need. And, of course, God's word. We need new tongues, new mouths to be able to speak God's word that dwells with us. It puts on flesh. It moves into the neighborhood. So it's this idea, this vision that God's new city is actually a body. It's actually a body. And that's confirmed in Revelation 21. Remember Revelation 21, which is this idea of um, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, the new city. And then John says this, it was like a bride adorned for her husband. Wow. What if the new city that we've been working for is actually just 
the new body of Jesus. That actually what we are all called to do is to anoint and to heal the body of Christ, waiting for that resurrection space. So that's one piece of context, and it makes me wonder, what's the condition of the body of Christ today? Okay, we're almost there. I'm going to give one more piece of context. In January at Heights Prez, I preached a sermon on John chapter 20. Okay, that's the story of Thomas. This is super important. I had been thinking about this for two years. Thomas. Remember Thomas? We call him Doubting Thomas. Thomas doesn't believe that the body of Jesus rose. Right? He doesn't believe. That's why we call him Doubting Thomas. And Thomas's faith is restored when he touches the body of Christ. And that passage ends with Jesus saying, Great job for Thomas, who saw the body and believed, but blessed are you who do not see and believe. Why would Jesus say that? Because John, in that gospel, is writing to people that they've never seen the physical body of Jesus, two legs and two arms, that body. They've not seen it. And guess what? We haven't seen it either. So Jesus is saying, blessed are you who don't see the body because you are the body. So that led me into this space of asking, okay, what actually is the body of Christ? Like, what is going on here? In the sense of this idea of somehow our communities, when, we, when they touch and when we are touched by the body, this body and the larger body, we actually have our faith restored and we're given a great gift. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Uh, is where I landed. The text that we read is really kind of Paul's sermon illustration, right? It's kind of an odd thing. It's not a book about bodies and things necessarily. It's a book about um, the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is really about the Spirit. Verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts. The whole chapter is about gifts of the Spirit. And so the body metaphor here is coming in this context of the gifts that the Spirit gives to us. Okay. So, here's where we're going to land. Our body gives us a picture of the body of Christ. Okay? Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 3, and also I believe in chapter 6, Paul's very explicit. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Okay. Do you think about... That Do you think about that as a real concept? That like the uncreated life of God didn't start it back in Genesis 1. It existed before that. The uncreated life of the Spirit is actually inside of you. And when we come together, there's another inside of this body that's different than heights, right? Heights prez, this is a body. You're a body, right? So there's like everybody's a body and is a, a part of the body. So here's what I want to say. I'm going to give us three, uh, three kind of flows that we're going to go through. Three points, I guess I'll say that. Uh, number one, unity of the parts is the result of the spirit flowing in the body. Unity of the parts is the result of the spirit flowing in the body. This is verse 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and as many members, 
and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. This is verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so he gives this list of a kind of racial unity, Jews and Greeks, different ethnicities, an economic unity, slave and free. There's all these different unities in the spirit, in the spirit. And my hope is that you have a sense of longing for that oneness. Wouldn't it be great to be in a church that had love flowing out of it like a river, where we're not jaded by being hurt in the past, right? We're not jaded and cynical or untrusting, but actually we are together and we're seeing God's power begin to flow. So I wonder how is that going? How is that going here at Story Church? Uh, how is that going in Cleveland? Right? How is that going in the church in the whole world? Okay? If a reviving presence of the Spirit came to the city of Cleveland, would we even be able to receive it? Or would we be so jaded and cynical at the tradition that was blessed? Maybe it would just be like, that's probably, they're just doing that, right? That's just the Baptist church, or that's just the Pentecostals, or that's just this group or that group. Y'all know that would happen. Because we are so siloed in this city, it's, it's amazing. You know, I, I, part of what we do with New City Cleveland is it puts us in a position to be able to interact with a ton of different ministries. And you start to realize so many people are doing the same thing, and they don't even know that there's other people doing that. There's other people wanting the same thing, right? That we're just siloed off doing our own different things, right? And it may be something that the Lord is going to bring you guys into that. Like, how many churches are in this space? Do we know what they're doing? Do we have any interest in what they're doing, right? Is it just a tradition? Like, are we here representing a tradition? Because there is no tradition of the Holy Spirit. As soon as you got a tradition of the Holy Spirit, you know the Spirit is thinking about checking out. He's thinking about heading somewhere else. Like, we can create a tradition that God is going to be in. There's some, some arrogance there. Okay. Here's my question as we think about Cleveland, as we think about our own sense of brokenness. How can there be disunity in a body that has the breath of the Spirit in it? How is that possible? How can there be disunity in a body that has the breath of the Spirit in it? And the tough answer I came to is that it can't, right? That's not a super satisfying answer. It actually can't, right? You think about your body. If there was no breath in your body, it would not matter what the parts were doing. You would not be concerned about what your feet were doing or your elbows. It wouldn't matter. In fact, a body that the parts don't need to worry about each other is a body that does not have breath. We all know that that's true. The First Corinthians uh, is really a book about division. It's kind of amazing. Maybe I should have preached on uh, chapter 3. Let me read chapter 3, verse 3. He, he says, uh, even now, he's talking about uh, giving them food versus milk, their immaturity because of their division. For you are all still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, 
are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? And that's really our problem, isn't it? Is that we behave in a human way. The church of God, the church of Jesus, is constantly tempted to behave in a human way. Not that there's anything wrong with humans other than being, you know, fallen creatures. That's really the main problem. But when we behave in a human way and we trust in our own capacities and our own strengths and our own strategies, we very quickly begin to see that we're disconnecting ourselves from the Spirit because we're not trusting the Spirit. We're trusting our own capacities, traditions, power, fundraising, denominations, etc. So we think about what does a body look like when there's no breath in it? I remember I was, used to work at the city mission uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. And I was there throughout the pandemic, throughout 2020 and all the way through, through the beginning of 2021. Um, and it was quite a time. Uh, it was quite stressful. Um, it was quite alarming, you know, like the stay-at-home order and I get in my car and I'm like the only car on the street driving down to the city mission. Because if you stay at home at the city mission, there's 100 guys in one room. So it's not it's a little difficult to, uh, to isolate. Um, and we had several clients uh, who got COVID. We had at least one client I know of who passed away. We had a staff member who passed away uh, in that space. Super, super difficult time, super traumatic time. Uh, and there was one client, I remember, he got COVID. And uh, he actually helped me make these masks. We like cut up these t-shirts with rubber bands. This was like way in the spring of 2020. And you like put the thing over your face and like he helped me make all these. And then that summer he got COVID and he was in the hospital and I was talking with him on the phone. And then he'd be on a ventilator so I couldn't really talk to him. And then he'd get off the ventilator and I'd talk to him again. You could just hear his haggard breathing, right? Trying to, trying to pull breath in as he's saying to me, like, I'm sorry, I thought I did everything right, and yet here I am. That's a body that doesn't have breath. It's struggling to pull breath into itself. And we tend to think that the spirit is only working. Mm, let me say this differently. We tend to not ask, what is the spirit doing in a place? We tend to ask, what is the tradition doing, right? What is the group doing? What's the denomination doing? And we tend to miss this question, what's the spirit doing? Which, is, again, is the breath. Um, I was watching this uh, church history documentary. Documentary is probably too strong of a word. It was like, it was like a YouTube, like a voiceover, and there were pictures and maps, and it was dates, and it was like, the whole history of the church from like 8033 to now. But it was uh, produced by the Roman Catholic Church, which I thought was really interesting because it's like they're highlighting things that like Protestants wouldn't necessarily highlight. And it's just really interesting to me how it basically was, was following, you know, who the popes were, who the kings were, you know, and it was like, what is this? What is the spirit doing? Like, we didn't really write that down, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, what was happening? Like, it was Pope Clement, and then this happened, and then these kings did this and got this together. And then this, and there were popes over here and doing all this other stuff. We, we just so gravitate towards putting our eyes on the tradition, what the human stuff is that's happening, and not so much what the Spirit is doing. Contrast this with the Apostle Paul. 
uh, who in Acts chapter 19 uh, arrives at a new area. Acts chapter 19, he's coming into uh, Ephesus, right? He wrote the book of Ephesians. He was there for several years. Um, But it says in verse 1, it happened that while he was passing through the inland country, he came to Ephesus, and there Paul found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Now, we don't like that, probably like that too much because they started speaking in tongues. But the reality is, here's a group of people who... Literally, it's not like they didn't know about the Holy Spirit. Of course, they'd heard of the Holy Spirit. They just didn't never heard of a spirit you could actually receive, right? We haven't even heard of that. Um, and yet, somehow, you can be following Jesus and be disconnected from the reality that it's not just a history of something that happened in the past, right? It's not just Jesus 2,000 years ago. It's not even your favorite church historian of like Martin Luther or like. Wesley or whatever you want to pick. It's not like it happened back then. Like what's different between now and then, right? We want to come up with reasons why it's different, but the reality is the Spirit is here. This is like literally the age of the Spirit, okay? Jesus says, it's good that I went away. It's good that my physical body went away from the earth. It's better for you because you got another helper. I'm one person. I can't be in everybody everywhere all the time, but the Holy Spirit can. And I wonder, is our disunity, right, 25,000 Protestant denominations? And it's not just Protestantism, um, but there's division within the Roman Catholic Church. And if you look at the Eastern Orthodox components from well before the year 80,000, there was too much emphasis on popes and apostolic succession. We focused too much on the people, but yet at the same time, God's able to work through all these things. But I wonder if... We, f- we struggle with disunity. In this church, forget the history, let's talk about right here. In this church, we struggle with unity and disunity because we don't really emphasize the fact that the Spirit of God, the uncreated life of God, is actually inside me this morning, and it's inside of you this morning. Disunity is the fruit of of the flesh. That's the term that Paul uses for the part of you that God is not involved with. Okay? The flesh, not the spirit. And we see this in the text. Paul uses these kind of body language, uh, this body language concept. Look at verse 16. He starts saying, pretending like the members of a body are speaking to each other. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And so this is, this is the, the language of the flesh, right? The body language that's disunifying is this kind of self-judgment, this insufficiency, this unworthiness. Because I am not a foot and I can't run fast, I don't belong to the body, says the hand. Because I'm not a head and I don't know everything, I do not have worth, say the lungs. 
Because I am not the lips and I cannot smile or kiss or talk, I don't have worth, says the spine. What's the lie then of the flesh? I should be something other than what I am. To be loved, to belong, that the members lack a sense of affirmation in who they are and what they are called to be in the body. And who gives that affirmation? I don't give that affirmation. The Spirit gives that affirmation. If the Spirit doesn't give you the affirmation of who you are, you will chase it the rest of your life. You will chase it until you die if the Spirit doesn't tell you who you are. There is a part of you I can't get to. Turn to your neighbor. They can't get to it either. Only the Spirit can speak that affirmation in which you actually receive it and are able to walk out and flow out of that. Because if you don't get that, you're constantly looking at like, well, this church is bigger, or that church is, is better, or whatever context it is, right? You go into the hospital if you're a medical professional, and it's the same thing. It's like they're doing it better, or I, I messed up here, and, or this, that, and the other. You're chasing something you can never get unless it comes from the Holy Spirit. That's the language of self-judgment that comes from the flesh when there is no spirit. There's a second language that he talks about. I think it's in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Right? This is the language of other condemnation, the judgment of others. Right? Um, a judgment that could be one of irrelevance as well as hatred. Right? It's not just like, you're bad, but it's like, I don't need you. You're just not really relevant. Right? We're good Christian folks. We don't hate other churches and things like that. We just don't really need them. You know what I mean? It's like, we're not going to feel bad about you, but I'm just not going to feel anything about you. Okay? It's like this awkward sense, right? It's inconvenient to include someone else. Like, what is it going to cost me to, like, actually include you into our, into our body? I think that costs too much. Therefore, I think that you're irrelevant. And it really gets at this idea of, like, what does it mean to need someone? What does it mean to need something? Right? Um, I was playing with one of my kids, and he hit, knocked my glasses off, and they hit the hardwood floor, and the, the lens popped out and, like, skittered under the couch. And it was like, I need my glasses, <laughs> you know? I was like, do I need my, what do I need my glasses for? Like, I need them to see. I don't need them to, like, do a bunch of things. But to see is what I need them for, right? So what the goal is creates the necessity, right? Do I need anyone here in this room? Do you need anybody here in this room? And it's like, well, to do what? Do I need you to get home? No, I got my car. I got a car. I'm going to get it. And it'll turn on. Now, if it doesn't start, right, I got a 2002 Toyota Camry, so pray for me. If it doesn't start, suddenly I need you now, right? You see what I'm saying? The goal determines the need. So if we live and, and operate in a body, I'm just going to talk about this local body, right? If we're in a body in which we don't really need each other, what's our goal? What is the goal that we have that actually contradicts 
what the Bible seems to be saying, that we need one another? What is the goal that we have in mind? Is it to feel better on Sunday? Right? Are we, are we chasing what the Spirit should give you in the church? Right? The tradition of the church can't give you what the Spirit only can give you. Now, you can get the Spirit here, I think. Praise the Lord. So let me ask you this. Do you need Jesus today? I want you to actually think about that. Like if Jesus, does Jesus make any difference in your day today? Do you need him for what? Oh my gosh, have I built my life in such a way in which I don't actually need Jesus? Oh my goodness, is that possible? Is it possible that I go Monday to Sunday and Jesus really does not make much of a difference in my life. What if he doesn't make a difference? We don't like that idea. But actually, grasping that possibility is the only way to get him. This is the, the lie of religion is, no, I'm doing all these things. Or, no, I got up and I prayed this morning. It's like you can always have more of Jesus. Always. I don't care if you've been walking with him for decades. You can, he's an eternal God. You can always have more. And the minute I stop saying, I want more, danger, 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 danger. I'm drifting. And so this is how I want us to end. This is number three. Just with repentance. It's not really that clever. Right? We turn to the parts of the body that we've forgotten, but that God remembers. We bring our attention to the parts that we oftentimes ignore. Remember Matthew chapter uh, 25? I'm going to read a couple verses. Starting in, in uh, verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me food. This is Jesus speaking. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison visit you? And the king will answer, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The parts of the body that seem irrelevant are oftentimes the parts that God inhabits and that his spirit is actually able to flow through. So what do you and I tend to ignore? What are the parts we tend to ignore? And even if you think of something this morning, how do you actually create concern and love for that part? And I think that actually listening to the spirit like, the Spirit is going to give you insight into what you should do, right? Like, you should text someone. You should actually take an action today. Like, what a radical concept, right? It's like, actually, we should respond to what the Spirit is saying to us in this moment, because he's going to start to work this idea of unity. 
You know, it's interesting. I mentioned um, I mentioned this idea of the functions of a body as connected to the ministry of New City Cleveland, and I was trying to think of what what image is that, right? The body is is struggling with its functions, right? Is this like a workout class, right? The ministry is like a workout class, right? It's like we're gonna get, we're gonna strengthen that, we're gonna strengthen um, the muscles, right? My wife was in like a dance cardio class or something like that, you know. Um, I was like, I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's some help there. I don't think that's quite it. And then I was like, well, what if it's like a physical therapy type of image, right? You hurt something, right? And you work, you're working it, you're working that part to strengthen it, right? But the part is lame, and you can't use it. That's a, that's a powerful image. Then I was thinking of the image of CPR, right? Like imagine you went downstairs to go get your kids and you saw someone was laying on the floor and suddenly you realized they weren't breathing. There's so many things that we're worried about right now that would evaporate. We wouldn't be concerned about it anymore. We'd only be focused on the one thing. Does the person have the breath inside them? Which in this, what we're saying is the spirit. Does the person have the Holy Spirit actually inside them? Because that creates the unity. So many things that we're worried about. But if you went downstairs and you saw someone who was not breathing, or even you suspected maybe they, wouldn't, they weren't breathing, you would immediately change, and it would bring such a focus and an urgency to that moment. That's true. And so it makes me wonder, is that actually what we're looking for? Or are we looking to all these other things that are so important? You know, my own story, and I'll close with this, my own story is um, I grew up in the church. I didn't grow up in Presbyterianism, but I grew up in Congregationalism. A lot of the same theology, but we didn't like the Presbytery part. Um, and heady theology, you know, R.C. Sproul, Francis Schaeffer, all those people. Um, my dad's a pastor. Uh, but it didn't have any power in my life, right? I think I believed it to a certain level. Um, but it did not have any power in my life. And as I'm a high school student, uh, you know, I'm just getting filled with just more and more anger and more and more lust and more and more just bitterness and resentment and jealousy and depression, right? And it was honestly because I don't think I'd ever really received the love myself from God. And then in 2007, at a conference uh, through, at the time it was called Campus Crusade for Christ, now it's called Crew, uh, it hit me that like I've been swimming in all of this water, but like it's never actually gone inside me, I don't think. And my life changed after that, right? My life changed. I like went home and I took, I had all these medals and things, I don't know, I took them all down, right? I actually threw my computer away. I mean, it was just a radical season of like anything that's in the way from what the Spirit is doing, get it out of the way. Five years of intense devotion. Right? I wrote this, this journal, I started writing this journal, um, you know, it's like 400 pages, like I found it recently. It's like 400 pages of just like prayers and thoughts to God. It's really cool. A lot of it's like, you know, I read it now and I'm like, you're doing great, buddy. Like you really didn't know a lot going on there. But he, I was real. Justin, teenager Justin was like super focused and just real. Okay. In 2012, I went off to seminary. And there was this sin area in my life. Right, that focused around lust. It focused around the computer. 
It focused around the internet, this promise of, of getting something that's going to satisfy me. It came back during seminary. And I found, I found my journal in February of this year, and it hit me that the journal ends when that re-entered my life. A couple of more journal entries, and then it just stops. And man, I broke down and wept in February when I saw that. Because I was like, I, I let it get in my way. I let it get in my heart. And God's been so gracious over the 10 years, right, to help me heal and walk through that. But honestly, as I watched the fire of that devotion go out, I'm telling you the truth. I repented in a way that has led to the last few months being like a radical change. My wife and I have started praying every day. Honestly, we've never done it in our life, in our whole marriage. And it's like, what changed? Like, what, what, what changed? I already went to seminary. <laughs> like, I already did all the things I'm supposed to do. What changed? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the actual breath of God inside you, not outside you, inside you. Do you want that this morning? Are you longing for that this morning? That Jesus is actually risen. That Jesus actually sends his spirit. It's not just some other tradition's Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of Jesus inside us. He has healing on his wings and breath in his lungs. 